Hello and welcome to the Stacks Office Hours, our semi-regular roundup of what we've been watching, reviewing, listening to, playing and reading. Contemporary cultural influencers, tastemakers and keepers of the good takes. Jack and Stephen are here, have no fear. Stephen, we're back again. How are we doing this week? This I'm doing very well. This very well, thank you. Yeah, this 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 fortnight. This um, fortnight for all my fortnight yes. takes. Um, yeah. <laughs> never, have you ever played Fortnite? Yeah, of course I've played Fortnite. What do you mean? Of course I've played. I played it because it's free, isn't it? It's a free to play yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, I downloaded it on the Xbox. I wandered around for twenty minutes, didn't see anyone. A kid shot me in the back of the head, and I uninstalled it. And that is my in-depth history with the game Fortnite. Yeah, mine's similar. I liked Apex Legends a lot. Um, never so played. I just yeah. So I thought I'd play Fortnite because you know. The kids love it, and the yeah. kids do Building. love it. And, against you know, it's what was what was your what was your Fortnite equivalent when we were when we were butt lads? I'm trying to Runescape, think. Runescape, I guess. Like Runescape, like Call of Duty: Modern Warfare. That was a big online God, yeah, shooter. I, I sunk a lot of hours into Halo that. Three. I guess like we just kept Halo going around each other's houses and playing yeah. Halo Three and like Halo, Halo 3, Two before that. Just Halo, Halo ODST, and Guitar Halo Heroes 4. and Rock Bands. Oh, unbelievable amounts of time! I think I said on the Stack oh. Awards that I forced someone to play Beatles Rock Band for an yeah, entire yeah. New Year's Eve because I had just got it for Christmas and I love the Beatles yeah. and I love Rock Band. Similar, similar say. So, yeah, a, good, a good friend of mine, her house backed onto the school field. So in sick form, when you get free periods, we just went to her house and played Rock Band. Amazing. So <laughs> good good. times. So, so much wasted hours smacking yeah. my hands against plastic. Yeah, 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 and yeah. here I am now doing a podcast. So times have changed. No plastic here. Anyway, so I mean, let's start with with a recent thing. I've talked about this on another podcast, but I, I saw Alex Garland's Men, and I really okay. didn't like it at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is a real shame. You can hear mm. me talk about that a little bit on the um, Thinking of Spoiling Things app um, for Doctor Mavericks when that comes out at the beginning. Um, Vaughn and I talk about Men. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just a nothing of a movie. It's very like poorly positioned. I don't. Th- it's just not written very, very well. If you want to read a really good takedown of it, Jeff Vandermeer <laughs> wrote a review of it. Yeah, that I think I, is absolutely I, excellent. I scroll, um, I scrolled through that just because I think it's it's full of spoilers. I, that's um, the thing. So I only got very, but I think it's just like an interesting thing of being like the creator yeah. of the source material for arguably your most successful film has seen mm. your newest film and is not too impressed and hates it <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah and makes makes garrison so yeah so yeah men is where i'll start off with um so yeah i watched i watched men me, as a recent so thing. i i avoided all trailers just because it was a garland thing but i haven't been to see it because of uh just the negative response can you give me like a general overview of what this movie is and what it's about because i yeah okay genuinely um, don't, so do not know. i would i would say watch the trailer because i as i say on the the spoiling things app i think whoever does the trailers for garland movies is yeah. the best thing about them because i watch his trailers and go this is gonna be the greatest movie and i watch okay. them and go that was fine or that was bad um so yeah so um jesse buckley plays pretty much the only character there are other people but she's the only like like established character um she as is revealed over the course of the film um she is no longer with her her then husband it's made clear very early that's because he um died by suicide um and it's also made clear very very early that he was emotionally and seemingly physically and then it's clarified later um abusive to her so she had to to live with that and she is going to a getaway down in the country um middle of nowhere rural england very like country like proper like tory tory country yeah um like jake and bruce mogg might walk in any second <laughs> landed gentry kind of thing and they even like like pretty much refer to that kind of like vibe and she stays in this like beautiful house this beautiful like airbnb pseudo thing and 
she's greeted by the person that's like the landlord, takes her through, and then when she meets other people, you realise that every man that she meets is played by Rory Kinnear. So every man is the same man, and all oh. have the capacity for violence or the capacity for abuse of power dynamic. So it is... It is monster movie in which what if the monster was the patriarchy, which is okay, like, it's yeah. not a novel idea, but it's a sure. well-expressed idea. And the, again, her being forced to deal with the sense, it, it, it therefore unpicks quite nice visually to begin with the idea that individual men are not the problem, but the cumulative effect of men, the patriarchal sure, like yeah, yeah. Um, capability of men, it, it extrapolates that very, very nicely that every man has the capability or everyone that, you know, that identifies along the spectrum of masculinity has the ability to fall back on the patriarchy. The movie has no ideas past that is the problem. And it doesn't really know how to articulate that. And it's also, as I say on the podcast, the male gaze is usually used to talk about leering sexuality of women. Mm-hmm. Um, here, you can very much use it for, it feels filmed from a male point of view. It feels like thought of. You are a male filmic voice to position a female character. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't really work. Right. At all. An unfortunate, an unfortunate disappointment because that's the first. Oh, I suppose you don't really like Annihilation because you are quite close to the source material. I like Annihilation, but yeah, mm. I, I, I read the book I afterwards read and oh, I was okay. just like, someone should make... The, the reason I'm so mad is because I read the book and I was like, it's like nothing I've ever read. Someone should make a movie of this because there are things in here that would work so well on film. Okay. And they didn't do that. It's just infuriating. So is it like they, they missed things out of the book or they just did it in a... It's totally different. It a disservice. Oh, really? Okay, right, got you. It's totally different. Like, it is such a unique thing. Like, the... I don't know, like... Annihilation, the book, has, like, more in common with Tarkovsky than it does oh. with that. Garland, has, yeah. Like, it is, it is more sci-fi. proper weird fiction of, like, Ooh. like it is so strange. There are yeah. bits... It, it, it really plays with that idea of, like, hypnotism, of you're not sure where the barriers between reality and, like, imagination, like, slip. And, like, it's it's so good at that, like, a fear of space. Like, is this real? Is this not real? Is mm. the characters awake? Are they hypnotized? It is transportive and brilliant. Um, I guess my book recommendation, the book Annihilation, and the entire, <laughs> the entire trilogy is brilliant, actually. There's I didn't even know books. it was a trilogy. That's cool. Southern Reach. Southern Reach books. They're all cool. very, very good. Jeff well. Vandermeer. Excellent. Yeah, movie. You. Well, folks, it's happened. It's finally happened. Jack is going through his early Jean-Luc Godard phase, and he's kind of loving yes. it. Yes. So I was listening to a podcast, Will Sloan and Justin DeClue of the Important Cinema Club, and they were doing an episode on Histoire du Cinema, Godard's four and a half uh, hour documentary essay on the, the history of cinema, his critique on 20th century culture and <laughs> like politics. To watch that. So it's divided into different episodes. I threw on the first one and I just didn't really click with it. I was recognizing these mm. images that he's juxtaposing against, but I didn't really find much to grasp onto. And I realized that I had kind of die- dove into mid-period Goddard without any sort of prior warning. So what had you seen? So at that point, I'd seen Breathless. Yeah. Uh, Viva la Vie. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think so that good. might have been it in terms of... Oh, no, I'd seen I'd seen Alphaville and I'd seen Weekend. So oh, Weekend's good. I'm, I'm very excited to revisit. So I'd seen, you know, bits and pieces from around. So in that podcast I've seen, I've seen episode... Goddard's. So I think it's an interesting project and I want to save it for when I can appreciate it a bit more. So yeah. from there, I jumped out of that series and to another film that Will and Justin had mentioned on that Goddard podcast. Stephen, have you heard of the Goddard film called Keep Your Right Up? No. Exactly. No one has. It's like 
one of his least watched movies and it's a comedy that seems to be an ode to both Jerry Lewis and Dostoevsky in equal measures so there's slapstick and visual gags and it's got this nice quaint charm to it but it it has your Godard, Godard like philosophies and mm. him like strewing with the form of cinema in itself and I thought I really enjoyed that but I didn't get as much out of it as I'd wanted to I think it's time to start from the start so I've been back to the start and I've watched Goddard from his very early days, a few of his early shorts, which I found relatively straightforward and a nice introduction to his sometimes bare bones approach. And then I revisited Breathless, which definitely works for me a lot more than it did when I first watched it like five or six years ago. Hmm. So with his critical background, his years spent writing for uh, Cahiers du Cinema, a film magazine, which he wrote in amongst the likes of uh, Francois Truffaut and Eric Romer. He'd been yeah. so preoccupied with uh, how Hollywood approaches storytelling and filmmaking that you begin to see that Breathless is his new take on that sort of time-tested noir story. So you have his time, uh, his trademark jump cuts appear, some of the nihilism and philosophically divided characters. It's a really engaging watch, and I was like refreshed to, to actually get something out of Breathless when I don't think I did first time round. And then from there, I hit a few of his earlier features. Un femme is un femme. Contemps, yes, that's... Le Petit Soldat. I was so, so happy to read your review of Woman is Woman because I had I had the same response you did. I want to actually revisit and actually give it the you know time of day and actually write about it because I think it's a mm. fantastic movie. It's incredibly, incredibly playful, incredibly engaging, and it's, I think it's going to be really fun to unpick. Use of colour is incredible. Oh, incredible. It's just a very progressive approach to visual storytelling. And you start mm -hmm. to see how much influence Goddard and this era of the French New Wave really had on contemporary cinema, both in Europe and overseas in larger Hollywood productions. Um, Goddard, I'm sorry I ever doubted you. Let's see how mm. this Goddard uh, watch, uh, <laughs> we'll con see. continues and progresses. Which leads me to the book that I've been reading, uh, Everything is Cinema, The Working Life of Jean-Luc Godard by Richard Brody. Oh. Uh, I like to do this from time to time, just start reading a book about like a creative and follow along, uh, or vice versa, mm. especially with those like Burton on Burton or Lynch on Lynch books where Moten it's on just Moton on Moton, you just read along with the creative process and you get some insights. So I'm going to see how far I can take the Godard train, but I'm fully invested as of this moment. Yeah, so my, my favourite Unfemme and Femme um, anecdote is about the ending okay. um, of like untranslatable language um, because the version that I watched was on Mubi and um, there is a, a really bit of great linguistic dexterity at the end where Unfemme, I think, is another way for saying like foolish yes. in French. Uh, yeah, that's... Um, I, I, I completely missed me for obviously missed me first time because i'm yeah, not yeah, yeah. native french um, speaker and it's something I so someone's like it. you're a fool and she's like no i'm not a fool i'm a woman, a woman. so that is like as as a as a subtitle you're like what a strange ending line but if you listen to if you're clued into yes, what you're yeah, hearing yeah, it sounds yeah. great very and the, the fun anecdote there is that they tried to translate it for a while they tried to find a way um to make that joke work in the same way that if you watch something like Rafifi, um, like they have the subtitles for the song and they change the lyrics so that it rhymes so it still feels musical. Yeah, they do that yeah, quite a lot of yeah, music. Yeah. So one of the subtitles was someone says "damn you" and she says "no, a day me." Oh, that's horrid. I know. <laughs> that's a stretch. So, my word. Oh I'd so put a day on that. My word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now they've just gone back to like they just subtitle it as is and they hope that you listen for the 
for the for the pun to work because it's it's a it's a fun pun. So yeah, Infemi and Fem is is yeah miracle. the first god that I loved. I the would first like, I was like to yes. get a decent Blu-ray release. I've been looking at um, Blu-ray releases for that early period. There's a little box set I might pick up of those early films, and I'm excited to see uh, Bad Depart. And you're gonna you're gonna revisit, love revisit Mepri. Revisit Mepri is Alphaville. so up your street. Pere Le Fou and Revisit Weekend oh, as well. Uh, there's a lot. He's, he's got a Rolling Stones film. There's a lot. He, the man made a couple of movies. Yeah, and then he made and he, like and he Oh, woe is me. This sucks. So. <laughs> All right. What about you? What's your next thing? Um, John Waters. Um, yeah, I so have good. been watching through <laughs> John Waters' filmography. Uh, I fill in all the gaps that I had, yeah, starting yeah. with um, some of the short films that I could find, um, including. Actually, have you seen. No, it's not even a short film. Have you seen Obscene Dogma 19? <laughs> oh, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't heard of that. <laughs> it's not really a film. Someone's put it up onto. It's a clip from some film <laughs> production company put out. A like a bunch of filmmakers making like one minute things that like tributes to, and it's the one minute segment from that, and it's just him doing this strange monologue about a fictional filmmaker called Lars von Queer, and oh he just my. talks about the Lars von Queer Dogma Nineteen I love <laughs> philosophy it. about how films must be filmed. It's the best thing to have come out. It, it all make it's the best thing to have come out of Lars von Trier ever, obviously. <laughs> Um, so, so that that led me to the, the features. So, Mono Trash Show is not very, very good. Um, no, I need to Female is, Trouble. Uh, the last one I need to see, surprisingly. It's, Mono it's, Trash Show. I've just put it off at, because as I don't a know. experiment. It's like it's it's. It, yeah, but I've seen I actually played a bit leads, of it to Emma. So. Um, there is a bit in it because Emma likes those TikToks. Um, there is a famous TikTok sound, which is the oh no, oh no, oh no, oh, no, 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 no. That's in that movie as uses a musical cue. Um, which is fascinating, like, and the reason why Mono Trasher is still kind of interesting is it because it, it clues into that s- storytelling we're doing now at the moment of that sense of using um, a pure musical cue as narrative. So this is it's a silent film basically, okay. um, and all of it is told through little musical cues, which is why there is no release of it because it is all unlicensed yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah, yeah. a bunch of just songs he's access to. So it it's it would be a really good short. And even if it clocks in eighty five minutes, he was like, "Yeah, no, like it, it's just it, it it just goes on for, for way too long." It's okay. it's a really cool idea. It's a, it's an, it's like I stylistically respect it. It's a yeah, start. Um, it's it's yeah. the, the foundations of what. Female Trouble is obviously brilliant. Of it's yes. that great escalation. It's it's a film that's also I think Waters at his best, where his films are actually charming at the heart of it, and it's mm. actually really in love with alternative lifestyles and being yourself. Yeah, and that repression leads to problems. Um, Desperate Living is probably secretly his best oh, movie. Mate. I love Desperate Living. Rewatching it um, yeah. this weekend with some friends, and I'm looking forward to revisiting. Yeah, that one it's really struck a chord with me. Dark. It's so saw, but dark. But it's, it's also just like wonderfully, like creatively dark as well. Mm. Like I know you it, mentioned Donkey Skin in your review mm. and Salo. Like, <laughs> Salo, which is like uh, John John Waters is very much the middle ground between those two films, mm. and that Desperate Living is definitely. Um, you know the sort of central thesis of that 
It reminds me that when John Waters talks about his favorite filmmakers, he mentions Bergman and Herschel Gordon Lewis. Like, and like yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. film is, with, is like with sincerity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is yeah, very and much, yeah, he's not joking. He's so, interested yeah, in then, the highbrow and just like absolute schlock, which is you know I can relate. <laughs> polyester, uh, brilliant, um, like a really like strange like cirque pastiche, but then Melodrama, still has like yeah. the the weird edges. Hairspray is a really interesting film. Um, I don't think it is quite as successful as it could be, mm. but in the sense of being like, how do you make an audience watch John Waters' film? It, it works that way, and it yeah, still it's does like a ma- more feel sort of John mainstream Waters. sort of release. Same with Crybaby and um, um, Serial Yeah, which I've seen before. Like... Um, but, Pe- but Pecker is the old one of that, so Pecker was new to me, and Pecker... If it feels like it's edited, it's edited like MTV Generation kind of thing. Like, and Edit- I don't mean, well, yeah. I don't mean like Gregor Aki style like MTV counterculture. I mean kind of like American Pie kind of like. Well, it's teen like cor- almost like corporate teen comedy, and you've got yeah, yeah. Ed- Edward totally. Furlong, and it's just yeah, mm-hmm. that was the one I, I watched, and I just sort of shrugged off. Um, it's good, like it's, it's, fine, and it's it's no Cecil B. Demented though, is it? I then I watched this movie, which maybe is also his best movie. Yeah, I don't know. I, like... an, another, I, I recommended that to Maps because it's a movie about making movies in like this edgy way, and I, yeah, so much fun. Yeah, and then A Dirty Shame is such a strange film. Like, yeah, what did you make on? Where did you land on that? I know Matt kind of. I think Matt liked that. Quite Matt really liked it. I yeah. I think it's I think it's really good. I think it's again got that kind of like MTV kind of like corporate look well, to that, it. That's the Johnny but... Knoxville effect as well. And Chris yeah, Isaac, exactly. Uh, is, he's is the... very much this is what a contemporary John Watts film looks like, and I'm so used to that sort of like 70s, 80s, mm. like sheen like scuzz to it. So seeing it sort of sheened up Why? like this, I don't know. I ultimately liked it for two reasons. One, it feels like a strange remake of David Cronenberg Shivers. Like okay. it has like a very similar third act to Shivers. I don't know if you've seen Shivers. No, it's a film that I like more than anyone else in the world. Therefore, I refuse to rewatch it because I know I know I don't like it as <laughs> much. Be wrong, um, yeah. yeah, no, I know I have like a weird five star Shivers rating, and I'm like I don't remember what happens in that movie apart from like the ending. But I really really loved it. Um, so it, yeah, it has this like crazy just like just. It, why this film is cool is because it treats sex the same way Hollywood treats violence and mm. therefore works as like a treatise without saying that of a PG-13 film could end with like this kind of like carnivalesque feat of everyone killing everybody mm. and that would be fine. And this has as much like sex and sexuality in it as most Hollywood films do violence. Yeah. But because that verb is different, I guess, it therefore gets an NC-17 rating and it's such a great send up to just cultural standards and cultural double standards mm. so it, it very cleverly utilizes its sexual content and it uses it filmically like it, it's not like pornographic at all even though it's got like a lot of nudity in it it very much is a cinematic depiction of sexuality in the same way that violence is used cinematically yeah. i find that really interesting about it a, a lot of it is very funny a lot of it isn't funny at all mm. um some of it is just like oh i thought you're better than that yeah. but ultimately <laughs> i thought it was quite good it's crude, but not sort of the crudeness that I'd want from a water. Story. Yeah, I don't it, know. you're I, right. It doesn't feel. Maybe it's because it is that 2000s, and I sort of yeah. start to associate it with that ilk of filmmaking. Um, even if you go on the letterbox page, the similar films are like Meet the Fockers, Freddy Got Fingered, mm. American. They are Pie. similar. It's that it's that run of 2000s sex comedies. I think because he's not speaking from the fringes anymore. That's the thing of John Waters as he, he, yeah, he he's becomes a fringe filmmaker, and he like. Know, Dan McCoy put it very, very well. He becomes like America's gay uncle, and there's like there is a there is a big there is yeah, an appeal yeah. to that of like that as like a mainstream kind of like still countercultural statement because of like the heteronormative world that we live in. But there is that sense of being like someone retransgressing the system for like beatniks and hipsters, and now there is now the sense of someone like is 
so known for that that it's not transgressive anymore it's kind of like mm-hmm. charming yep. um so it's, it's not someone making fun of the peripheries which like mono trash show is definitely that mm-hmm. and pink flamingos is definitely that oh 100 um, but yeah so yeah that, that, that's that's my film so back to you um Stephen, what if a mule could talk oh my god I so francis I wouldn't have to know about this so i i've got very very little on this but francis the talking mule it turns out that there are film franchises from the 50s that you'd never even dream about and francis the talking mule came up and obviously i signed on to join our buddy matt and watch them all and oh my god what a what a, what a slog these are with three Certainly films into good. seven films and oh so donald o'connor who uh you've seen you know singing in the rain everyone loves singing in the i rain. do so he plays uh cosmo Kramer, uh, cosmo Kramer. cosmo cosmo brown uh, gene kelly's best bud in singing in the rain and he's the leading man in these francis movies apart from francis himself who is a talking mule they're not very good um these films are casually, really? casually racist and rather dull uh i've seen three so far there's four to go i just want to get to the last one which is i think the one that how matt found this franchise it's called francis in the haunted house and i want to <laughs> see what a talking mule does in like i'm looking forward to francis to... x where francis goes to space and <laughs> yeah. kills david cronenberg um but... uh, so my little update on that is that uh, francis talking mule not very good movies back to you <laughs> Do you know what it is a great movie? Go on. Um, a movie that everyone should be talking about and everyone should be watching. Strictly Ballroom. What is the Oh, is this um uh Lerman? Yes, Lerman's debut feature, Strictly Ballroom. All right, hit me Stop with that. whatever you is you're doing, unless it's recording this podcast with me. Yeah, yeah. Um and watch Strictly Ballroom. It is amazing like okay. genuinely genuinely brilliant like hits out of the park this first movie best movie easily i've not seen elvis i've not seen australia maybe weirdly australia is his best movie i talk doubt to me, it. it looks talk terrible to me about strictly ballroom, I strictly ballroom about is work. like i don't know like what if you took baz lerman and put a little best in sh- of like best in <gasps> show into it Ooh. uh it's it is a film about like ballroom dancing like yeah. so i mean it was huge at the time because obviously strictly the British TV show really come down takes to, its yeah. name from this. Oh, like right. this was a that sensation. Is crazy to me. Like, this I... was very, very popular. It's kind of like weirdly fallen out of popular culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is like a really like toned up, glitzy kind of like these people are into ballroom. One of them is making up their own moves and therefore is controversial on the ballroom scene. Oh, this sounds very to, like, Christopher Guest already. <laughs> exactly. It's very. It's not like film like, but then occasionally there are little interviews. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it does have a bit of like a mockumentary backbone. It's just. What if the excess of um, Baz Luhrmann was just like the framing of the film was just like the curtain edges was just yes. like the stage as opposed to the whole thing and it's perfect what if it was actually really sincere at the center and it had a glitz and glamour that's surrounding it and then what if later those affectations took over the whole movie and that's his later career yes it's yeah, really yeah, yeah. funny um the character stuff is really really good there are a couple moments that have aged terribly sure, um, yeah, there yeah. is one slur towards the end that's like it's the classic thing of they need to. It's like I know your character is evil. You don't need to. Yeah, make you him don't need to sell this. me on this and just spread like, I, slurs just for the sake I, of characterization. Yeah. I hate that. And that doesn't work. And also doesn't make sense for the character or for anything at the point. It just also just functionally does not work. Um, not that it could, but you know what I mean. And there's there is a there is a stupid bit of being like his dance partner is like the ugly girl, but maybe when she takes off her glasses oh, and combs her hair, sake. but it. it it at least does that one quite knowingly like that one it's like a little wink i've been like 
we this is what this is what happens in because movies. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's this heightened world of boring. It's just so fun, and it's just it's so energetic. I watched it. It was that thing of my partner's mum was round, and it's just like always. It falls to being like, what's the movie we watch that everyone's going to kind of like? Yeah, what's and the I was like, let's just watch this. So. I turned the server I was using, the whatever stream service it was on, I turned it to sort by random and I scrolled down Brilliant. until I found something. And I went straight ballroom. Has anyone seen it? They're like, no. Um, Emma and I love were loving it so much, but having to hold back a love of it because it was clear that Emma's mom was just being like, what is this? Oh, right. This okay. is strange. And at the end we were like... <laughs> We were like, that was so good, wasn't it? She was like, yeah, that was that was so... Um, like, Emma was just like, that's the best film I've seen in, in oh, months. Oh, awesome, I love that. Um, so yeah, Strictly Ballroom is just utterly brilliant. I loved it so much. Labyrinth of Cinema. <gasps> Whoa. Stacks Award winning. Whoa. I finally got yeah. around to seeing it. Oh, what a picture. Really beautiful review. Please read his review of it. It's really, really good. I'll read a, I'll read a little snapshot from it here Please to uh, pad us out. In its opening moments, the film promises to explore cinematic literature and subsequently spends three hours reveling in this in a marvellous fashion. It is a chronicling presentation of director Obayashi's relationship with cinema, but more so about J- Japan's relationship with cinema. A crash course in Japanese history constructed with every filmic technique imaginable. Obayashi is known for his anti-war messaging in his films, and this is the accumulation of all this work. Movies are both reality and illusion, intertwined in sometimes inconceivable ways. Labyrinth of Cinema dares to push this outwards to the true fringes of autorist filmmaking. The playful ways in which the presentation of the film is constructed delighted me throughout. Obayashi in his 80s, very aware of his own mortality, still pushing the visual boundaries of cinema. There are surrealist and absurdist elements, but his central focus is always to take the audience through the sprawling tale of Japan as a nation through cinema. It has this exciting allure and chaotic control throughout, visually constructed in a cheap but oh-so-endearing fashion. With digital compositions and flat renderings that look like home movies, community theatre, and even like child's collages, all under one roof. Often, stories here are told through a circular iris. The intent here is surely to bring the eye in, to focus in on the narrative and visual storytelling at hand. But a byproduct of this is how the viewer is very much symbolically watching this personal story of war and cinema through the Japanese flag, a central iris against the blank backdrop. A stretch, perhaps, but it's moments of cinematic reflection like this that make me really connect with Labyrinth of Cinema. It is a movie that is so energetic with its ideas, everything is thrown at the wall, but everything sticks as well. It works. It is delightful chaos at times, sometimes truly overwhelming and overbearing, overstimulating but constantly engaging and thoroughly cinematic. Mm. Labyrinth of Cinema. Stephen, what a picture. Wish I'd got to it sooner, but it felt yeah. like a worthy milestone for what was my 6,000th film on letterbox.com. It's a movie what about movies. I, what film did I pick for you for that? I know that I tried. Oh, uh, Street Fighter 2. <laughs> no, no, is... Not even Street Fighter 2. Um, was it not Street, Street Fighter 2? The, Street Fighter 2, the animated movie, maybe that. No, it was Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. I don't know. Um, what, I, you know yeah, I don't know what these things are. And I was very uh, glad I didn't have to watch that. But I almost did yeah, watch yeah. that the other day because um, I good. do now have it on DVD and it is just clogging my... Well, we, need to, we need to watch that for um, for Kino Fanks at some point. Oh, is that on the list? Oh, awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, maybe we'll is. do that after the next one. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I... Obayashi. Good filmmaker, good film. Have you seen Hanagatami? No, I have seen oh, yeah. only it's... barely, barely a few. Uh, Rocking Horseman, which oh. I think is one of the best movies. 
House Sue, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Labyrinth of Cinema and His Motorbike Around. Yes, His Motorbike Around. So good. Mm. Um, all right. I played a video game. I played yes. a lot of the video game. Talk to me about um, this video game. That I so, I how know. familiar are you with Diablo? Uh, know of it. Had a physics teacher that was so hyped for. I'm, I'm assuming that would have been Diablo three launch. Diablo three, yeah. Like late, uh, early, like 2010s. Yeah, because I, I was at university second year. Yeah, that sounds about. Yeah, yeah. I, I played a lot, lot of Diablo yeah. three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's this um, new? Is there a new game? So yeah, Diablo is from Blizzard, who obviously have been yes, in the news a lot yeah, yeah. recently um, for um, all kinds of harassment and horrible things. Oh, God. Um, so yeah, um, but there's been a, a there's been like huge changes and like a, a attempt to like course correct, etc., etc. Um, we'll see about that. Um, Diablo <laughs> is a storied series of. Um, I'm gonna get into like some gamer terms here, so I apologize. I, I, um, I'll, I'll flag you are, up on ones I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no. So, please, so these these are action RPGs, dungeon mm-hmm. crawlers. It, it's yeah. one of those games that creates its own genre. So the Diablo games are games where it's from an isometric viewpoint, so it's it's not quite top down. Yeah, yeah. It's at a slight angle, and you click around with a mouse, hack and slash. You click on things to kill them. And they drop loot, and the whole point is you just keep playing it, and you get better loot. So you go through these like, like the first Diablo games, like the I think they're like there's a bit of like random generation. So you enter these dungeons, and you kill the demons of hell, and you click, 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 click. You've got some skills, do some magic, and you play the class, and you get good loot. And the whole point of it is you keep playing it, you keep playing it, you keep playing it to get all the best gear, and the end game is constantly replaying it. Um, and they is instanced, um, but you can play multiplayer, so you can run dungeons together. Um. That's that's Diablo. So it's Diablo one, two, three, um, and now there's this one, Diablo Immortal, okay. which is brand new. Um, which was so Diablo four is coming out. Um, okay, so this isn't Diablo four. This is it's not Diablo four. Is this this a... is famously not Diablo four. Is this so like, Diablo uh, a free version of a Diablo? Yeah, which we'll get to. Right, okay. Ooh, we'll get to that. So Diablo one and two are absolute classics. Diablo um, two really like the standout um, from that. Diablo three was my proper entry point. Like I'd played Diablo two at friends' houses, but mm. I never like really got around to it. I played Diablo three when it came out. There was a big backlash against it because it was too colourful. What? Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and it was more actiony, and it wasn't really balanced around endgame at launch. Now, as a video game player, I'm not a play one game forever person. I am a, I play through it, I enjoy it, and I move on. Yeah, yeah. So Diablo 3 always worked for me because it had a really fun campaign, a novelty. The bosses were really enjoyable. I thought it looked beautiful, and it was so fun to play. Okay. Like, it's it's core loop. Um, there was issues with the loot stuff, and it launched with, like, this, like, real-world money auction house, yeah. which obviously broke the economy of that game incre- incredibly, because, like, if I found a good sword, I could then I'd put this up for actual real money. What? Um, yeah. That's um, crazy. That me. went very badly, and this is this is the beginning of what's going to come up with Diablo Immortal. Of like the entire appeal of these games is the numbers go up, so it's you getting better and better and better. Yeah, yeah. And if you can just be like, well, I paid more money and now uh, right. I don't pay, have that. Pay to win. It doesn't work in the end because it's like you've just you've skipped the game. Yeah, <laughs> That's you, you've the just, entire game. You've paid to uh, yeah. Well, those sort of games I never got on board with. Diablo 3 got a lot of updates and then became like hugely popular like it got like live game live events kind of like seasons um, and then it got some console ports that were really great actually right um, because these are PC games you, you click and they're yeah, like yeah, yeah. working on a console they gave it this like cool role fantastic so Blizzard huge company um, if people that don't know Blizzard also are the the World of Warcraft people and are Overwatch. the Overwatch Hearthstone yes like 
Blizzard. Blizzard are huge. Big, big um, StarCraft. Like Starcraft, Starcraft, yes. Warcraft, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the absolutely massive. Like they, what they are good at, and this is why Diablo Immortal is interesting to me. What Blizzard are good at is taking like known things and making pretty much the most polished, most proficient version of that. Was WoW the first MMO? No. Was it like the first like one polished up to a sheen? Yeah. Hearthstone, trading card games, like to a sheen. Yeah, Diablo, yeah. action RPGs, to a sheen. Starcraft two, Starcraft one, to a sheen. Like they are, so- and Overwatch again, like takes like hero shooters, and it's like, what if we just did it the most polished way? They're very good at that. Um, at BlizzCon, their convention, they announced their new Diablo, and they're like, it's coming to phones, and people are like, what? <laughs> and I think the guy's response was just like, what? You don't have phones? I'm like, way to misread the room. That's, yeah, Jesus that is not Christ. the problem here, my dude. <laughs> oh. People wanted Diablo 4, and then they're like, we are going to make Diablo 4. But people were very, very angry. It was like the most like downvoted trailer on YouTube for a wow. long time. Um, like People were mad about Diablo on phones. And then, gets close to release, and it actually looks quite good. And yeah. they're like, we're actually going to release it on PC as well. And people are like, yay! And the reason they said at the time, which is actually quite a good thing, is like, well, we know that people are going to try and like, pirate it and boot it to pc anyway so we'd actually prefer it if you were actually playing the real version (laughs) so and also because they because streaming and influencing is so huge right now you know we're influencers um so they want it to have like it's easy to stream from a pc um so i've been playing it because it's it's free to play diablo um and i like diablo a lot as a diablo on phones it's very very good like controls on phones are really weird like it's got like the adaptive like joystick for your thumb yeah. so you, like wherever you place your thumb the left you move around um the button placement i've got my like main attack and then my four skills yep. that i just pick when i level up move around click it's really good at like knowing where to attack to um it's never like overly challenging like i've it's a bit of cakewalk really but it's like it's so satisfying like it's got a loop down it's really good pocket diablo it's really satisfying really Ooh. enjoyable it feels watered down it feels kind of like not as good diablo 3 well it's a, mo- I got it's my a fill free of- to play mobile yeah. version isn't it That's the thing. i got my i got my fill of diablo 3 and i was finding it really compelling and really interesting but it's also don't play this don't play this at all never play this um do not do not get it it is an absolute mess like the i i'm still playing it i shouldn't be i mean um, i'm, I'm looking still... at gameplay now and i'm not <laughs> I'm not turning my nose up at this. It's really fun. It's really fun. I've played a lot of it. Um, I was told that it gets to a point, then like stop playing at that point because they're like you can have a lot of fun. You go through the first few maps. It's very like momentum's great. These oh. games work because it's a treadmill. You're like, yeah, I'm getting better stuff. Blah blah blah. blah. Uh-huh. Then new things opening up, and then I got past the quest, and it just went. The net. My next quest was be level thirty six. Oh I was like, right, okay, yeah, yeah. But I'm level thirty four. And I just hack and I've slash. I've been and doing grind. the quest, so like, what? do you want me to do and it's like well go open these menus and rerun dungeons i'm like i don't want to do that i, I yeah. did start doing that and i actually kind of in, in, enjoyed that um <laughs> but i think the reason i'm enjoying it is because i refuse to engage with the menus because the menus are terrible like every like five minutes like 12 prompts come up saying like there's now this thing and i go nope and i ignore it <laughs> and if i was trying to actually like min max and like thinking about my gear properly i'd be like realize how broken it is because Oh, this game is like you can throw so much money at it. Like, yeah. it's got these repeatable dungeons, and like if you run them normally, they're not very good. But you can spend money to like make them like proper, like with runes on them, and then suddenly you get stuff. Someone realized like someone like dropped like ten grand on the game, oh, like, and that's like how you get and like an item, like a impressive item. Like they're showing like how broken the economy is, and it's so exploitative because it is built for that. It is built. Yes, 
the thing is like you can play it without paying but the way it is built is it's built to prey on those who already have like dependency issues who already have like because the entire point of the game is getting good loot and you can't buy weapons this time but you can buy gems jack and you put gems on weapons and they are the things that and it came obvious to me of like i hit like a little bit of difficulty and then i just equipped a random gem from my inventory and then it came back to being easy again i was like oh ah i could be just ruining this game myself and it's kind of like i don't know it it is such a mindless thing because Mm. like it is the same thing it it never gets more difficult because you're always getting stronger so it is just like the like flat line yeah um but it gets artificially difficult so i entered like a high level dungeon and just died repeatedly and i was like oh this is not i haven't died at all i've only died there right, repeatedly and it was not fun at all but the propulsive momentum of just playing for the diablo game i think i'll probably complete it because i just i just enjoy that i can just pull out my phone and play diablo yeah and it's not as good as it's, diablo 3 it's not near as good of it. that's the thing like rather than having to there. boot up your you know gaming rig to log on and do it you just like yeah do it at the bus stop or you can you know do it when you've got like but a five minute break or something every five minutes something pops up and i've no idea what it means and i ignore it um mm. so like i'm playing it that way and really enjoying it but you know what i will recommend diablo 3 is on switch and it's probably quite cheap so Ooh, just like get, okay get, 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 get i'm looking respectfully switch. at that music yeah. um i've got two albums here that cool i have been listening to and i think you would like this first one released in 1979 the r&b group edge of daybreak's album eyes of love was recorded in one take at uh, this is my thing yes powhatan correctional center in state farm uh the band what? members were all inmates incarcerated for armed robbery and assault with sentences ranging from six Daddy to 60 years <laughs> thematically the collection is about a group of guys making the best of a tough situation uh, assembled from like love ballads and fanciful odes to freedom, Eyes of Love is a prison letter composed by committee, recorded hastily and circulated regionally amongst adventurous uh, people willing to take a chance on these talents. It's like R&B, funk, soul, blues music, all like aggressive and angsty, but like so gently produced and so wonderfully stretched together. It, it got like a, I think it got a re-release in like 2015, and it had been like unheard of since then because it's just like some guys in a prison making music about how they feel. I think it's a really interesting project, and the music's actually really good. Uh, the second album, second album, uh, I love jazz. I like a lot of jazz, mm-hmm. but I think the jazz that I really gravitate towards is the simple sort of stripped back piano trios, like piano, bass, drums. That's sometimes like all I need. So the album is The Jazz Trio of Hank Jones. It's a new discovery, but I've been playing all week. Uh, it's been serenading my writing, reading, general day-to-day activities. Just nice to nice to listen to some jazz. What about you? You got anything? David Bowie. I've heard of him. David Bowie. A thing that I like to do is pick musicians that I know I like and just go, you know what? I should listen to their entire discography. In, in order. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've got a lot out of it. And I do it like kind of like a background thing. And if an album sticks with me, I listen to it a few times Again, through till yeah. I get to know it. And the rest I go through. So David Bowie. Um, my relationship with David Bowie is, I think he is pretty much the greatest musician of all time. Um, but that's based on when Jack and I grew up, you had CDs of things and that's the CD you had of it. Yeah. Um, and I, for one birthday, well, my brother for a birthday got a um, Ziggy Stardust mm-hmm. and Diamond Dogs. Uh, Because my parents were like, you need to listen to these albums. We both love these. My mum's like, 
claim to like glory is that she saw David Bowie just before Ziggy Stardust came out and was just like this this is it like at some pub in like Essex was like I just saw something that was amazing and <laughs> turns out yeah she did um so got those two albums which were just so formative for me growing up Diamond Dogs was just like top tier for me for so long and Zig Zardes is obviously an absolutely incredible album that first track five years is just in my head most of the time mm. I just think it's utterly beautiful and, oh, and that album ends so nicely as well um so I had those albums, listened to them all the time. And then later for a birthday, I re- no, it was a Christmas. I received David Live, which is, I would say, the best David Bowie album. Um, it's the Diamond Dogs tour. Um, oh, it's okay. all jazzed yeah, up yeah. and cool. Um, Mike Garson on piano and best of Bowie. I've seen Mike Garson. Oh, very, very cool. Play the whole um, Aladdin Sane album. Very cool. Very, very cool. So yeah, so th- those are the those are the David Bowie albums that I just that I had. Mm-hmm. So those are the albums I listened to. So Best of Bowie, those two albums, and then hits elsewhere and occasionally on Spotify, like jumping in. Um, so I was just like, you know what, I should like listen to. And then Blackstone, it came out obviously, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, and the next day. The next day, day, yeah, next day from like 2013. Or which I listened to that on repeat when it came out whilst mm. playing SimCity because it came out at the same time. You what are a complicated man. <laughs> and uh, listening to that. Uh, really great album. So I decided to listen to Bowie's first album, Bad. David His Bowie. second album, um, David Bowie slash Space Oddity because he was like, let's yeah. call myself David Bowie again. And now it's not called David Bowie again. Pretty good. And then we get up, in, up, up into brilliance. Um, but... The standout for me is Station to Station, which I have to apologise to my friend Daniel Parker, who is not listening to this. But when I was in GameSpot forums back on the day, I was talking about how much I love David Bowie. And he was like, I really love Station to Station. I was like, I don't, I've not listened to that. And, you know, I thought that was like part of the period. I'm like, ah, you know, I like this Diamond Dog stuff. I like this. But yeah, yeah. Station to Station is incredible. And that first track is just one of the all-time best Bowie songs. The titular, um, the titular station. The titular station to titular station. It's got the um, Manny Feltworth cover. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's an exceptional album. And then I've, I've now got through the Berlin trilogy and that's what I've got to. Love um, which, which is Which is good. I didn't realise like, there's a few singles on that and there's just noise. And I was like, yes, singles and noise is a yeah, genre that I can appreciate. And noise. So yeah, I've got through, tres- um, through, I was about to say Trespass, it's a Genesis album, um, Lodger. I got through Lodger. And Lodger's that's, good, and that's, yeah. That's where I am now. Oh, Scary um, Monsters is just around the corner. It's, it's that's the next fun. one. Let's, let's dance, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, yeah. versatile artist. And I, I, I love I love artists that have eras and um, mm. periods in their life. And obviously Bowie is sort of the... Definition of that, I feel exactly, like. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. having his different personas and different eras. Um, very fun. Uh, there's a lot like of David to... Bowie's albums that I hold dear to me. Uh, I sort of gravitated towards the the Berlin stuff, the, like the Brian yeah. Eno stuff. That's always fun for me. Um, but yeah, Aladdin Sane. Yeah. yeah, Aladdin Sane stood out a lot. Again, I never really probably properly listened to it. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Man who fell to earth the same. But those those are the two early ones. I'm like, oh. actually, I had Hunky Dory. Um, oh, I had yeah, that I like, I like for a while. Dory. So I've listened to Hunky Dory a lot and had some of my favorite tracks on it. Yeah, hey, and you, and it's fun that song. She's like, that's about that's about the guy that directed Moon. That is. <laughs> That song's about the guy that directed Moon and Warcraft. It's good. Let's go back to oh, Blizzard. Duncan. There you go. That's our Blizzard Big connection. Donkey Jones. What's his... Lich... Zowie Bowie. Zowie, um, that's it. That's it. Which Zowie Bowie. I was thinking uh, Moon that's Unit, it. but that is Frank Zappa's daughter. Yeah, that's Frank Zappa's <laughs> daughter. Unit. All right. Over to Jack, and then I'll talk about uh, some books. I think... I think that might be me done, so you might have to... Yeah, that's me done, so you go... Um, All right. Into the I've book. got two books. I like books. One 
one is i'm early in it and we'll talk about it probably next time but um mm. ali smith is my favorite living novelist um ali smith is a scottish writer um she is just absolutely phenomenal she is like a an ex-student of mine wrote um his dissertation on ali smith specifically of her um seasonal quartet mm. which is her most recent books um she is like this like amazing line that like mixes modernism and postmodernism together it's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful her writing is like nothing else um i'd really recommend um girl meets boy um which is very very short you could find it pretty much anywhere you can get a pdf of it pretty easily like because i've had to yeah. use it in class once um so like it just read that jack you'd really, really like it it's your kind of thing um very quick get you that ali smith kick yeah. but her seasonal quartet um which in my review of bait i reference because it actually re- reminds me of that because it plays with form and, st- and structure really well they are all kind of like these like weird like semi pastiches semi like tone pieces but the thing was about them is she's writing about post brexit as in post brexit vote britain at the time releasing books quite quickly each like themed to a different season and it was it's amazing reading literary fiction about covid like that is really weird mm. as like a this is like highfalutin like elite in quote stuff but about real things we've been through at the moment it feels very strange i think her seasonal quartet is 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 utterly fabulous and it was very very popular it was like a literary event that we are living through it really for me captured the feel of modern britain in all its vicissitudes in all its like complexities mm. and they're really they get progressively angrier this beautiful way it starts out quite like oh things are a bit bad and then like the third one's just about like deportation facilities oh my God. and like how endemic that is yeah, yeah. and like it, it, it's so it, it, they really get like crushingly like just holding up like direct mirror to society stuff they're absolutely brilliant and she's and i have all four of them in hardback because um my partner got me i had got the new the newest one summer in hardback and for my uh, birthday at one point my partner got me the rest of them in hardback Mm. so i have my my collection because i think they're so important she made a fifth one um called companion piece okay which seems like like ah these books are popular there are only four seasons. <laughs> I'll <laughs> make another one called Companion Piece. But so far, I mean, I'm 90 pages in. It's about 250 pages. It's beautiful. It's mm. so good. And it's, again, she's so clever. Why I love it so far is she has taken the critique and kind of made that the thematic core of it. It very much so far is about this character who exists like on the periphery and like, people are seeking there's a person seeking companionship through her and like that seems being very very important but there's that sense of like so it's a book that shouldn't need to exist yeah and seems to be there for the sake of it and then it's thematic core is about companionship and adding things on and things that seem to be unnecessary but actually are really really necessary about how connections actually do define us and link back and things of the past it's like she's just on a level level she's just the most amazing writer and it's just i can't wait to tell you more about it when i finished it cool finish it so yeah soon. well i will check out girl meets boy very soon then. yeah uh, like she's that. just astonishing she wrote a book called you, you you will like to read about her she wrote a book called how to be both um that every you it's two books together okay one is set in like the 1700s maybe like 1800s and one set in the modern day yeah and they're these intertwining they're stories that they kind of they rhyme like the prequels i guess but <laughs> sure, yeah. um it they 
depending on what copy you buy, they're in a different order. So Ooh. they're not necessarily in one order. So depending on what copy you, what print run you get from, yeah, yeah. you get one first. And that changes things. because They reference back to each other. So it, it, it really, ch- ah, she's so cool. Um, so yeah, I read that. I also read, I think I'm holding up at the camera now, uh-huh. which is useless. Uh, uh, Mark Fisher's Capitalist realism. Is there no alternative? Obviously, that's taken from the the um, Zizek quote, which um, takes the beginning. It's easier to imagine the end of the world and the end of capitalism, which it takes as this like starting point. Um, this book is incredible. Um, what is depressing about it is this book is from 2009. Oh, <laughs> um, this book is from 2009, and it feels so depressingly reflection of like the state that our world is in the state that capitalism is in obviously it's very political this is like this is the whole um raison d'etre of zero books that published this is it says at the back it's about like stuff that is from the left about redefining the left and where the left okay. should be so this is this, this is this is leftist political theory cool. like so if that is not for you this is not for you like, this is <laughs> this is proper like anti-capitalism like as a mm. book it's really short it's, it's really digestible um you would love this i have just, um yeah, generally i'm on the kindle um, store now looking yeah um because why it's so brilliant is the theories in it and the idea is great and i'll get to that mm. but it's told in this like mixed media way of like constantly going back and forth over um like different things like the here's the here's the first line of this book for you in one of the key scenes in alfonso Cuarón's 2006 film children of men yeah yeah, yeah. sold Fantastic. that's all i need and then I, I love, in chapter uh... one I, there's a bit that i i posted on the discord and i i added um zebra and alex in let's see if i can find it already because i think I, I turn pages over when i love things here's a bit then um Blah, blah, blah. No, that's Children of Men again. Um, I pretend I've said that's... Aha, good. Um, the limits of capitalism are not fixed by fiat, but defined and redefined pragmatically and improvisationally. This makes capitalism very much like the thing in John Carpenter's film, the same name. A monstrous, infinitely plastic entity capable of metabolising, absorbing anything which it comes into contact. Bam! That's great. A right. perfect analogy. I was going to say, it's, a, it's a great to... analogy to get Jack to listen to your, your Capitalist Realism book, is to talk about um, John Carpenter. It's it's so good. I won't go through all the ideas in here because the ideas are absolutely brilliant, but like the it, it's very depressing. Again, 2009, and one thinks about the things that it's unpicking. I mean, capitalism has only become more entrenched um, and more disturbing, and the thing that it gets on, you're like, oh God, that would get... That was, mm, rough. Um, the key thesis is he comes up with this idea of capitalist realism which is like enforced by this idea of like socialist realism mm. and it's borrowed from like um, like I think an Andy Warhol era thing of like of, of a kind of like art like go back to like the pop art movement of how did you like artify I guess like capitalism. His idea is that um, capitalism has got to the point so there's Fordian capitalism now we are late capitalism yeah. or post Fordian or as he calls it capitalist realism where it has struck its tendrils into everything to the extent that it has made itself seemingly inescapable and his brilliant like observation is the success of this is it's commodified anti-capitalism of the sense that most anti-capitalist movements are now so focused on for obvious reason, on limiting the damaging effects of capitalism, because it's damaging us in the in the day-to-day, as opposed to ceasing it, they are therefore invested in maintaining it. So even anti-capitalism is involved in the furthering health of capitalism. Mm. Um, and he talks about how art is a form of capitalist realism, of capitalism has taken anti-capitalist sentiment, and it gives us art that does it for us. 
So we watch a film that's anti-capitalist, not realizing it's part of an anti-capitalist system, part of a capitalist system, and therefore it offloads that responsibility. He talks about protests becoming purely spectacle, and he he uses Live Eight, Eight, not Aid, as an not example aid, of eight, yeah. you take that. And that looks like how most modern protests look. And they've become these like things of spectacle. He does this great example of Wally as a case study of the sense that a film that was mocking its own audience, not because of the people that made it, and he makes this clear the whole way through. The problem is not the people, the problem is the system. And that's what he's going back to. We need to realise that the problem is capitalism. So he goes, this is a huge mainstream product that dares to be like the problem is capitalism and it's capitalism realizes it can commodify itself as the yeah. problem and sell you that thing and then it does it does the thing for you thanks the stuff in there about, but yeah there's <laughs> the stuff in there about mental health about education awesome. which obviously really really vibrant yeah, yeah, i think it's utterly it's utterly brilliant and it, it got my mind really racing about what does it mean to be actually and i was thinking it in terms of john waters and i'm gonna I expand this into an essay i think that idea of i think john waters films are hugely political because they disrupt and divert the mainstream. He talks about Fukuyama's end of history hypothesis here. So Fukuyama had this idea that um, liberal capitalism was the end of history, that that was it. History is building up to that point, which obviously is absolute nonsense. Mm. Um, but we can get to that point of being like, is film at an end of history moment? It's kind of like the idea that I'm thinking of here, of being like, have we reached the sense of we've kind of like built up to a codified language of film and is the only way forwards to be political in film is to disrupt that can you make a political work in the codified capitalist language of film and i'm thinking increasingly no you cannot and that's why the john water stuff is is potent is because yes wally on paper is more political as a text but desperate living is more <laughs> disruptive more. yes as a piece of as a piece of form because it speaks out of it and it's why pecker doesn't work as well because mm. pecker is playing into that political but is as a form is not that at all mm. um so yeah this it, it set my brain alight in beautiful ways awesome. it's a it's a quick read it's an easy read love but that. it is very profound um yeah l- love loved it love that um we want to hear what you've been reading watching and listening to too so why not mm. email your updates comments queries questions talking points and compliments and donations obviously this to the stacks on film at gmail.com and steven i believe you've got some listener suggestions this week yeah so they want us to do things um which i'm in full support of so you I can like do to, this people you, like you can make that. us consume things um oh i forgot to talk about ms marvel uh, god damn it we could save that for the next one i'll save the next time yeah just yeah. by the way oh, the, it's how, brilliant how many episodes there'll be a couple more maybe i'll catch up yeah on it then. maybe i'll watch I've, I've watched i've watched the first two Okay, it's so brilliant. in two weeks' time, there'll probably be two more than I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What days Maybe does it come out, do you know? Wednesdays, Sydney's oh, awesome. So right. well, I'll, I'll, I today um, I'll put that on my to-do got list. jazzed up and then shut down. I was like, oh, this new thing is so fresh and what a clever thing to do with this franchise. And then I was like, oh, no, I'll catch him on Kenobi. Oh, that was bad. Yeah, um, so. wrong order Wrong order to do that in, I think. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll put a pen in that and I'll, um, I'll, I'll catch up the next time. Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah, go on. So from um, a friend of mine, and uh, you know, I mean, Jack has met the man. I don't know if they're friends yet, but fixing to be Associates, friendly, I would say. You know, enemies, to, 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 enemies turn lovers. You know, situation. Do you know what I was quoting there? Fixing to be friendly. No, go on. It's uh, the Cobra was Hail Caesar. I um, don't like that movie. <laughs> what? I that was great. I, I need to revisit. I, I, I yeah, think that was one of like the first Coens I ever saw. I think. God, that movie is great. Um, all right. Um, a recommendation from my great friend Johnny Blackburn 
yeah, is a yeah. band for us to check out. Okay. Um, I went to my first gig since pre-COVID to see a band called Rest. That's Rest with a W. And I highly recommend that you and Jack check them out. I've never sent a po- message to a podcast, so I have no idea how it works. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, so I'm getting... Rest. Uh, w- fans of Fright and Rabbit and The National will love Oh, Edinburgh's okay. Fright and Rabbit Rest. is one of Jono's favourite yeah, bands yeah, I, I of I all do, time. I do so. love Fright and Rabbit. Him so and Sam Chase are huge. Rest sounds like Fright something. Uh, Edinburgh indie indie rock, indie pop, indie band. That makes sounds sense. I me. mean, you know, he's a, he's a Scotsman. I so Rest, like... we're going to check out Rest. I'm going to... Check out. Check out that for next time. We have another uh, music wreck from our pal Kevin. Um, the new album from Angel Olsen. He wants oh, us to yes. check out. I, I forgot um, about that. Yeah, which Angel he absolutely Olsen. adores. Calvin loves. I think they're talking about on their. Po- I've talked about on their podcast. I've spoken about. Um, he thinks we're dig. So we'll come back with thoughts about yeah, that. Yeah, album called Big Time by Angel Olsen. Uh, Angel a name Olsen, I don't know. I don't recognise. So I'm looking forward to yeah. checking that. out I assume she's one of the Olsens. I presume she's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's the one. She's one division. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I you know I didn't like that. So I like this. Um, <laughs> and then Ben Brace Benjamin that has ben. a film for us each. Ooh. Hit me. So for you, uh, me specifically, you're not allowed to watch this. For you, yeah, because which is long I haven't seen this, so I would quite <laughs> like to. But no, I will obey the rules. For you, the Legend of the Stardust Brothers. Yes, has been on my radar for some time now. Would like to see that soon. I will try. I'm not going to tell ben. you any more about it because no. we're gonna, he's going to watch it and tell yeah, about then. I'm going to tell you and about. And I'm watching a film called The Naked Island. So that Ben gave to me for my New Year's resolution. So maybe I'll also have a Naked Island to no, no, for the next episode. No, 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 no you won't. No, you won't. <laughs> okay, I'll do The Lonely Island. Next time I'll talk about The yeah, Lonely yeah, Island. Yeah. You talk about The Naked Island. And, and we'll he gave it. us a, a, a novella wreck. Um, okay, cool. What's a book today? we might save that. We might save okay. that for afterwards. Oh, okay. Might, might yeah, be yeah. another, you know, got to keep yeah, the trail going. Got to keep the trail going. Yeah. Cool. So thank you everyone for listening and emailing us in with your messages. Kind, kind words. You can feel free to DM me or Stephen on Twitter or yeah. Discord, wherever. The or, easiest way is just in. like just slide in and just tell me to watch something. And tell I me to watch will. something. I'll I'll more than likely get to it. I like to watch new things, old things, and discover new cultural endeavors. So. This has been the Stacks Office Hours, and the office mm-hmm. is now closing. Office hours are now closed. Closing Sorry. time. Go away! No, no, we're closing, closing here. Back to research. Times. Uh, yeah, we'll see you next time on the Stacks podcast that we do. Mm-hmm.